so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast, where our goal is to help you think biblically about today's cultural issues. I'm Lindsay Nicolay, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about how gender ideology deeply affects our personal lives. So far in this series, we've learned what the Bible teaches about gender and sexuality, how the fall affects our perception of ourselves and God, and what role the sexual revolution played in where we are today as a culture. Today, we'll hear an incredible testimony from a man who has learned to honor God with his sexuality. We're also going to hear how we can respond when someone we love struggles with sexual sin and gender confusion. Joining us on the podcast today for the first time is Christopher Yuan. You'll also hear again from our friend Katie McCoy, the Director of Women's Ministry at Texas Baptists. Dr. Christopher Yuan is a writer, speaker, and the creator of the Holy Sexuality Project, a first-of-its-kind video series designed to help parents and grandparents empower their teens to understand, embrace, and celebrate biblical sexuality. Christopher graduated from Moody Bible Institute in 2005, received a master's in biblical exegesis in 2007, and a doctorate of ministry in 2014. He has taught the Bible at Moody for over a decade. In all of our discussions about sexuality and gender, it can be easy to depersonalize the struggles and think of them as merely theoretical. But these ideas have real-world consequences and are upending the lives and relationships of real people. To start this episode, Christopher Yuan shares his personal testimony of same-sex attraction and the power of God. I wasn't raised in a Christian home, but wrestled with my sexuality from a, a young age. I came out of the closet, I would say, back then, in my early 20s, much later than we see today. Through that crisis, my mother came to faith, and then my father did as well. I went the total opposite direction. I'm originally from Chicago. I was going to dental school at that time. And at that moment, I was just doing what all my other friends were doing, have fun, party. And I began going to the clubs. I began experimenting with drugs and even selling drugs. Well, this went all the way through till about my senior year in dental school. I was three months away from receiving my doctorate, and I was actually expelled from dental school. And so I moved from Louisville, where I was going to dental school, to Atlanta, where, again, I kept doing what I knew how to do best. When you don't have God in your life, you're going to just live it up and party and have fun. At least that's what I thought. My parents didn't know all that I was doing with the drugs or the partying, but they knew my biggest need was to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. They tried to reach out to me. I wanted nothing to do with it. 
They came to visit me one time, told him to get out. My dad gave me his Bible. I threw in the trash can. That's how much I despise God. Well, my mom just kept praying and listed over a hundred prayer warriors and they prayed for a miracle. This is what's so tough. My mom prayed the difficult prayer that sometimes parents need to pray that God would do whatever it takes to bring this prodigal son to him. Well, that whatever came with a bang on my door, opened up my door, on my doorstep were 12 federal drug enforcement agents, Atlanta police, and two big German shepherd dogs. So I found myself in jail. And a few days after that, I was walking around the cell block just thinking, I've just destroyed my life. Passed by this garbage can. And lo and behold, on top of that trash was a Gideon's New Testament. Took it back to my cell, began reading it. And the word of God began convicting me. First of all my idols, obviously drugs. Within a few months, he delivered me from that. But man, there was just one thing that I was holding on to, my sexuality. So I began reading the Bible. I opened up to the chaplain to ask him his opinion. He surprisingly told me the Bible doesn't condemn homosexuality, gave me a book. And everything inside of me wanted to affirm what that book is claiming. But it was the Holy Spirit that convicted me that this was a distortion of God and his word. Gave it back to the chaplain. I just began digging into God's word. You know, a lot of times people ask, what was it? Who was it that shared you the gospel or taught you or discipled you? For me, it was just my prison cell, me, God, his word, and the Holy Spirit teaching and discipling and just revealing his truth to me. And I realized I'd put my identity in the wrong thing. I had put my identity solely in my sexuality as this is who I am. And God was calling me that I need to put my identity not in my feelings, my desires, my behaviors, relationships, but in Christ alone. The concept of identity is important to a Christian worldview because God gets to define who we are and His definition is good for human flourishing. Today, human sexuality is often viewed as a primary identifier of who someone is, and those definitions are contrary to what the Bible teaches. Here's Christopher to explain how these ideas affect our conversations about gender and sexuality. A lot of times we want to talk to our unbelieving friends or those who identify as gay and as Christians, we want to jump to talking to them that this is sinful behavior. Well, the thing is, how can we talk to people about that this is sinful behavior when they don't even view it as behavior? So I think before we can talk about sinful behavior, we need to address and help people to understand that our sexuality is not who we are, but it is how we are. In other words, it's what we desire, what we feel. And these could be strong desires and often unchosen temptations, but it's not who we are. There's even discussion today about identity. And they're saying, well, you know, I identify as this or that, or I'm an American, or I'm a, you know, a lawyer, or whatever it is. We need to make sure that we're clear that when we're talking about identity, we're not talking about how you identify. In other words, a label. Identity is an ontological question. It's about our essence, our personhood, and how we differentiate between labels and how you identify to our essence is how we answer that question, who am I? We need to be able to differentiate that out because in the world, what we're seeing is that our experience reigns supreme. So everything else needs to bow down before it. So 
We used to be sola scriptura. Today, it's no longer that. It's sola experientia, experience alone. Though we're all affected by the fall, the particulars often play out differently between men and women and between generations. This is certainly the case when it comes to gender and sexuality confusion. Here's Katie McCoy to discuss how girls of this generation have been influenced by the gender ideologies of our day. Generation Z, they're in their late teens, early 20s by now. And this is really the first generation that has grown up in a post-Christian culture. This is the first generation that has come into adulthood without the influence of Christianity in society. That certainly doesn't mean that we're saying all of society was Christian, but it was certainly influenced by the teachings, especially the moral teachings of the Christian faith. And it's no coincidence that Generation Z is also horribly confused about gender and suffers from an epidemic of mental health crises. They are trying to answer very transcendent questions about their identity, who I am, what it means to be human, how to find fulfillment and happiness with nothing more to guide them but their feelings. And they're also surrounded by a culture, including our social media culture, that is fostering that, um, feeding into even insecurities that every young woman has and saying that perhaps the reason she feels out of place in herself is that she is a man born in a woman's body, that she is somehow physically out of place, that not even the physical body has the right to tell her who she is. And so it's affecting young women in um, some staggering ways when we look at the the data. And it's especially so in their emotions, in their connections with other peers, and then how they've been influenced by social media more often than not. In fact, overwhelmingly, this gender confusion, it's a symptom of something else. Though girls are being disproportionately affected by the idea of gender dysphoria, Men have been affected by the sexual revolution, too. Here's Christopher explaining how men have wrestled with sexuality, especially in light of current cultural conversations. What we see today, especially when it comes to gender, what I find is that we are people that don't fit into kind of the norms. Masculinity and femininity are how men and women are viewed to And that, of course, is different than biblical manhood and womanhood. But when it comes to these norms, men who don't fit into this are now being really encouraged to identify as queer or non-binary, etc. And then it's just celebrated so much that it's viewed as such a good thing to be, you know, whether it's very flamboyant or, you know, out of that box way to live. But then you have... The rest of the men who might fit more into what men would act or live. And what's happening now when there's such a pushback of this term of toxic masculinity, it's viewed that masculinity period is oppressive or it is misogynist and it is negative. So now you have these men that are afraid just to be men. They're afraid to be leaders. They're afraid to be strong. And so I see there's a lot of negativity coming from what we see in the world today. And now it almost seems like men are just afraid just 
to be godly men. Considering all the ideas we're exposed to on a daily basis through online sources, and especially through social media, what's the role of parents in shaping their children's framework for biblical sexuality? Here are Chris and Katie with some helpful advice. I think more than ever before right now, we are seeing our children are essentially they're drowning in a tsunami of misinformation. And I think we are still trying to play catch up and parents don't know what to say. And also grandparents don't know what to say. So essentially we're almost saying nothing. There are some older resources that have been out there that that focused a lot on abstinence, on what not to do. That's very important that we need to teach our kids, but then we stop there. But the reality is we cannot build a Christian life just on God's no. What is God's yes? We need to have a robust theology of sexuality, which is teaching not only God's no, but God's yes. And when it comes to sexuality, uh, I've coined this term called holy sexuality. The term is new, but the concepts are not. And quite succinctly, it's chastity and singleness or faithfulness in marriage. We need to give this whole truth of what God is calling us to when it comes to biblical sexuality, not just God's no, and be full of grace and full of truth. I say sometimes our our responses tend so much to be a response to maybe what it was before, years ago when I guess Christians, we were maybe more truth at the expense of grace. And I see kind of some of the responses today is grace at the expense of truth, where it's be nicer, you know, these are oppressed people. We just need to just love. Should we love? Yes, but not just. We need to love and point them to Christ. You parents, you moms especially, you are teaching in a thousand different little moments and in a thousand different little ways. You are um, the most formational influence that your children have. And so use that. Be the one to bring up these topics with them before their school does, before social media does, before society does, and help lay that foundation so that when they hear something that does not fit what is true according to God's Word, they have ears that are tuned to what is wrong. They are tuned into what is deceptive, and they recognize the counterfeits because they understand the original. Don't let the world or anyone else take your job away. A youth pastor, teacher does not replace the parent. Especially when it comes to biblical sexuality, the primary place for these conversations, they should be happening not just in the classroom or in the youth group room, but in the living room, in the family room, at the dining table. Many godly parents have sought to raise their children in light of these biblically-based convictions on matters of sexuality, and yet some of their children have embraced an LGBTQ-affirming lifestyle. Here's Chris with an important reminder for all parents. Parents who have prodigals, whether they're identifying as lesbian or gay or even transgender, and these are Christian parents raising their kids in the faith, teaching them the ways of the Lord, and then they turn from faith and and are wayward. And this is not even dealing with sexuality only. It could be just a child that isn't following the Lord anymore. I often hear parents who are just blaming themselves. What did I do wrong? If only I would have done this or done that or done this. And they blame themselves. They sometimes even blame each other. If this is you, I, I want you to hear me very carefully. Hear me. It's not your fault. Perfect parenting 
does not guarantee perfect children. Look at Adam and Eve. <laughs> they had a perfect father. They still rebelled. They had a perfect environment. Garden of Eden, you're going to get more perfect. And they still walked away from God's commands. You know, when we believe that you're to blame, that kind of puts you in the place of God. Only one person can save, and that is Jesus. Parents cannot save. You know, the job of a Christian parent is not to produce godly children. They can't do that. That's not their job. We hope for that. We pray for that. But parents can't do that. But the job of a Christian parent is not to produce godly children, but to be a godly parent. You be godly, point your children to Christ, and then let God be God. As we think about the people in our lives who are openly wrestling with gender confusion— children, siblings, friends, neighbors, people in our churches, how can we love them well? One of the, the big things to keep doing is, first of all, thank them for confiding in you. That's a very big thing for someone to do. Recognize, too, that there's uh, no shortage of people in the LGBTQ community that are ready to give unqualified affirmation and say, this is exactly who you are, and anyone who differs with you is uh, bigoted and oppressive and someone you need to cut out of your life. So we don't want to lose that relationship, certainly, but we also need to be very pointed almost to say, because I love you, I'm going to ask you the tough questions like, how long have you felt this way? What makes you say this about yourself? Why do you believe this about yourself? And then do you believe that God has revealed himself, not only in creation, but in scripture? Do you believe the Bible's God's word? Do you consider yourself a Christian? I mean, those are the basic things too. If someone doesn't consider themselves a Christian, then that's step one, you know, that this person needs to be reconciled to God in Christ. And that's the primary need that they have. And when that happens too, as we're hearing from other detransitioners, when they come to Christ, the Holy Spirit convicts them that they need to live according to the body that God gave them. It's absolutely remarkable. The Holy Spirit has just been so active in the work of Christians who have that gender confusion or that sexual confusion. And we see how the Holy Spirit leads people to align their inner self with the outer self that God created them to have. One of the biggest things we can do for the gender-confused person is not only create an environment and a relationship where they are free to ask their questions, voice their feelings, but continue to ask them questions as well. And uh, a remarkable story of a young woman she was in probably middle school and from a solid Christian family, and she told her parents that she was transgender. They pulled her out of school, and her school was kind of ground zero for propagating these ideas. And by the way, if you're a parent and you have school children, you've got to get very inquisitive about not only the curriculum, but the language that is used in your children's schools. They pulled her out of this public school, homeschooled her, and strengthened those family relationships, strengthened those identity ties from parent to child, and also just kept asking her critical thinking questions. 
helping her even discern the ideas that she was believing about herself, about gender, about society, and be, be very open-minded of how that can take you so many places. God has revealed the truth about His design for sexuality in the Bible. For those who struggle with sexual sin and confusion, yet want to be obedient to the Lord, the path to faithfulness may be difficult. What message of hope does God offer these friends? Too often, even as strugglers, we have this tendency to fixate on what is most pressing, whether it's our sin struggle or some other trial. And that, again, is the enemy trying to distract us from what is the most important. Like for myself, I have this tendency to say, well, this is my biggest struggle. I need to fix that. I need to focus on that and get that right. Well, that again is then trying to see how can I fix this? This is my human effort. Well, the reality is what really is the power behind us being set free from our sin is God himself. We always know that we cannot save ourselves. It's not based on works righteousness. And yet, once we come to know Christ, we sometimes forget that. But when it comes to sanctification, we kind of get spiritual amnesia and we think, I got to do, I got to do this, I got to fix this, I got to do that, and then fixate so much on our problem. When we do that, we could get some victories, but actually we couldn't be missing out on Christ. But if we fixate on Christ and his holiness and how we daily need to be renewed in our faith and revived in our walk, daily walk, to become more and more like Christ, that then not only will connect with that, with our intimacy with Christ, but it also will resolve this. So the encouragement, if you are wrestling yourself with any type of sexual temptations, whether it is with same-sex attractions or others or any other sin. What I found in my own life that have given the greatest victories is that this daily renewal, focusing on how my the habits of grace, this daily spiritual renewal, and also focusing on these deep relationships connected with the body of Christ that have pointed me to Him. Because my whole testimony, a guy who used to identify as gay and now no longer do, and that definitely is an important aspect of my testimony, but actually that's not how I best summarize it. This is how I summarize it. I once was blind and now I see. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once did not believe and now I believe in the Son of God and His name is Jesus. That's my testimony. The philosophies that have been embraced by our culture about what it means to be human and the purpose of sexuality aren't just theoretical. As we've heard today, they are affecting real people, our sons and daughters, our friends and family members, and even ourselves. But where sin abounds, the grace of God abounds even more. In our homes and in our relationships, Let's have necessary conversations about gender and identity. Let's take our feelings to God and submit them to His Word. And let's continually point our fellow strugglers to the hope that's found in Jesus. The ERLC Podcast is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. It's produced by Joe Wagner, Lindsay Nicolay, and Elizabeth Bristow. 
Technical production is provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thanks for listening, and we're looking forward to being back together with you next time.